The views and opinions expressed by the Should They Watch It podcast are those of two moms who happen to be a registered play therapist and a voice actor for cartoons. So while they may feel their opinions come from a knowledgeable place, they are still, in fact, just opinions. Should They Watch It, a podcast that takes the task of reviewing your kids' favorite shows off your to-do list. Hey there, and welcome to the Should They Watch It podcast. I'm Kara Edwards. And I'm Laura Orr. And we are so excited today. Our Super favorite excited. episodes are always the one where we can have a very special guest, which yes. today we do. We do. Nate Dufort is a podcast creator that works on children's media. His projects include Reach, a space podcast for kids, and Unspookable. Welcome, Nate. Welcome, wow. Nate. Thank you both so much for having me. Oh, we're so happy that you're here with us and that you bring like we were talking about this earlier. You you do so much. Yes, you do. Like you are in this <laughs> world and you know so much and do so much and have such interesting stories about all these amazing things you do. And right I now try. I would like to invite you to do one thing with us, which is sing the theme of Gravity Falls, the the show that you pick. I, I feel like this one, <laughs> Laura, this is a Laura thing. Nate, I'm going to warn you. Like we have to sing the theme songs every time. And I'm like, you've embraced it. I've some, it. I, I have. It's grown on me. It's grown on me. Um, but the, this one, what it, I mean, it's just music. One, two, three, go. It's a hard one to pull off. It's too good. It is actually really good. <laughs> Thank it's you, Nate. Super catchy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about this show that you picked. I'm wearing my Mabel sweater. It is she hitting is. all of the wires that are near me. So you guys are going to hear a lot of moving around because it's just so puffy, just like Mabel sweaters. <laughs> but before we get into that, Nate, why don't you tell us, because as Kara said, you have created some awesome content for young people. What drew you into creating content for younger audiences? Well, I have a background as a comedy director, producer, and actor at um, the famed you know, Chicago Comedy Institution, The Second City. And oh, yeah. as I was leaving there, I was looking for ways to maintain my relationships with all of these talented actors and improvisers. And at the same time, my daughter was kind of entering middle grade age. So she wasn't really vibing with elementary entertainment anymore. Anymore. And I saw that there was a lack of content in the audio space for middle graders. So we went to work on putting together some shows that would appeal to her. And then we scrapped it all when she came home from school one day and said, Dad, I want to do Bloody Mary in the bathroom mirror. And uh, <laughs> uh, it, a light bulb just went off in my head, um, you know, thinking about the things that scared me, but were also age appropriate when I was a kid or those things that stretched my own maturity. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that we wanted to bring to our work while simultaneously looking at uh, the socio-political, you know, um, ecosphere and how do we relay the these, uh, these ideas in a way that is socially and educationally responsible for, for middle graders. So from that, our show Unspookable was born, and uh, then we've started putting out some other shows since. Laura's eyes just lit up. Like, I don't think I have ever seen them light up. Like, you just started speaking a language that she is like, yes! No, I, I love think it's, it. It's awesome. And, and I, 
I think you're spot on with this idea that kids love to be scared. They do. I mean, Michael's already, he's seven years old, and I'm not joking. My six and seven-year-olds were talking about Bloody Mary last week. Oh, really? Amazing. They, well, it's a great credibility there. builder, right? Like, if yeah. you can if you can talk to kids where they're at with their interests, then you get to sneak the education in. So mm-hmm. on that show in particular, while we're talking about the myth or urban legend, we simultaneously get to talk about the brain science of fear. We get to talk about the history of that myth. But we also get to talk about with that show something that's really interesting to me, which is the power dynamics and why these myths are perpetuated in the first place. And a lot of times you see there is a misogyny ingrained into Western culture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, through using age-appropriate language, we can communicate things like that through our episodes about witches and why women that don't fit in or don't want to procreate are often seen as outsiders within Mm -hmm. Western civilization. This is so important. Yeah, like, these are such remarkably important topics, and um, now my eyes have lit lit up because <laughs> this is stuff that I, with my with my son especially, I I try to talk to him so much about, you know, how do we treat women? Mm-hmm. What yeah. do we see with the mistreatment of of women or different types of people? Um, and it's so important. And and he loves science, so like most of the books we're buying him are about like. You know, these mysteries that you can see, but then why is it like that? Mm -hmm. How does it work? So, uh, man, you really hit on something that is very necessary and mm. and I imagine very popular. It is. And, and we have a lot of fun doing it. And we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't fun. I mean, truly, right. that's what we try and lead with. And uh, mm. I think that's where a lot of our success, both critical and with, uh, you know, our middle grade listeners have come from. Yeah, I really like this idea of discussing really important social issues through this lens of entertainment because I and I also think that that can be very um, intimidating for a lot of adults whose kids are watching this or learning about this because it's really hard to talk to your kids about these kinds of things. Yeah. And so that question of how do we do that comes up a lot. Um, because there's this feeling of we need to teeter a lot, you know, if we teeter, we're teetering a line of teaching them things without trying to, without overexposing them, I guess, for lack of a better word. And so I think a lot of parents have a fear of how much is too much, you know, what's the right amount of information that we need to be giving our kids at this time. And so using entertainment, I think is a really clever way of doing it. Yeah. We always get excited when we find these shows that we're like, oh, we can use this. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you're doing that. Well, I appreciate that so much. You know, we we work hard and I have to say, like, it is a learning process. Have we always nailed it? Uh, and are we consistent with that now? No, we uh, we stumble as we learn. But the important thing is that we're protecting kids and protecting parents' expectations. So promoting intergenerational listening and hoping to be the catalyst of those conversations that may not get started otherwise because of parents' reluctancy. Like, I think you hit it on the head and that's our goal and uh, it seems to be working and we only hope to build off of that that bridging that gap i think between parent and child i think also happens a lot in your unspookable podcast even you know because you're bringing up this opportunity to have these conversations but also you're talking about 
certain stories that kids are telling each other today that may not have happened when we were kids growing up. Like I never heard of Siren Head Mm -hmm. and you have an episode about that. And so now now I know what are what are kids talking about these days? What are the stories they're telling each other? Oh, Siren Head. So now I'm feeling more connected to that generation as I get older and older. and, And it's way easier for me to feel disconnected from that generation. Yeah, and it's super interesting because a lot of, you know, a lot of the creatures or the myths out there are things that are based on, you know, some of the same things we grew up on, but with the added invention of technology or how much further gaming has come, uh, and then the sharing of that across social media, uh, things like Siren Head can really take off um, in, like, the world of Roblox, for example, which my daughter is obsessed with. So it's funny how many of the suggestions for the topics of that show come specifically from Roblox now. Oh, that's so great. And that's one that is so far, because like I said, my son just turned seven and he's begging for Roblox. Yep. And I, so far I've been saying no. And yet he was just talking about Siren Head like two weeks ago. How funny. And so he hear like, even if you're not, if they're not directly playing these games, I promise you they're hearing about it from their friends who are hearing about it from their bigger brothers and yeah. sisters. And yeah. Exactly right. Boy, yeah. these kids go fast. It's fast. Like the yeah. stuff that... You know, my my stepdaughter will start talking about something. Five seconds later, Michael's talking about it. Next thing you know, 10 of his friends know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, just... it's interesting how we go from being their leaders, you know, of these kids to almost having to keep up with them. I'm no question. You know I mean? No yeah. question. I already <laughs> well, feel like this I'm is the behind. age range, right? When you look at yep. middle grade from eight to 12, and we no longer are the arbiters of information. We are simply right. a source of information as they gain autonomy uh, and look for multiple sources of new influences, of information, start, you know, gently testing their boundaries with us, questioning some of the things that we say. It's a really, really exciting age. Uh, but also incredibly important to be as responsible as possible as a content creator or as parents in what it is we're allowing, um, you know, children to engage with. And this is something Laura and I've talked about so much on this podcast, and Laura was the first to see this and point it out. There is such a giant lack of content in that preteen range. um, Which is shocking because there's so like, it's a very necessary and, and there's a ready audience that would love to watch these shows. And we just watched um, a lot of Netflix, Disney, a bunch of these uh, channels just canceled so many of their really good yes. preteen stuff like Raising Dion or the Babysitter's Club. Or, yep. um, and, and oh, how disappointing I know when all you have shows kids that entering that. Yes. Oh, yeah. I did too. I mean, we loved those shows. Yeah. And so um, it's, yes, there's a giant... Um, void in that space that does need to be filled because these kids are going to find content and (laughs) it's nice to have stuff that you can go to that you can feel safe going to. Exactly. And I I don't want to jump to it too quickly, but that's part of why I wanted to look at Gravity Falls today. You know, it airing in 2012, I think it has influenced so many of the properties that we enjoy today in pushing the boundaries of what's acceptable for middle grade audiences. Uh, You kind of, well, why don't you just continue on? You, You were touching on why you wanted to choose, why you chose Gravity Falls. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, absolutely. Uh, so this show for me, it 
it checks a lot of boxes from early influences and things I watched at that age. Um, mm. You know, I was in middle school, I believe, when Twin Peaks was on the air. And I probably shouldn't have been watching it, but that is also <laughs> exactly why it had such an enormous influence on me. And, you know, I like to think of uh, Gravity Falls as it's somewhere between what The Simpsons does uh, with how many jokes are per page uh -huh. and uh, what Twin Peaks does in bringing the paranormal there. The most mm -hmm. important thing, though, is it has an animation style that pulls in younger uh, audiences, uh, but never then talks down to them. So it instantly builds credibility uh, with kids while simultaneously having jokes, uh, not just at that rapid pace, but that answer to the expectations or level of comedy that an adult would have as well mm -hmm. as a kid. It can be super simple. Um, it can ride high and low comedy at the exact same time. Uh, but these are the twins in this show are 12 years of age and have one foot in childhood, one foot in teenagerdom, and experience all of the awkward uh, experiences that we all go through at that age. And there are no punches pulled in a lot of that. And it's something that I really appreciated watching with, uh, with my daughter at the time because it made her feel like she wasn't alone. And we found ourselves mm -hmm. laughing at some of the exact same jokes and realized it became a place where we could build our relationship off of some of the content fed. And then as you were saying earlier, you know, kids do gravitate towards scary things. Uh, it tickles a part of the brain. So offering just enough of that weekly while simultaneously having a larger mystery that if you're not paying attention, you will miss things. So it has that classic, mm -hmm. almost X-Files, Monster of the Week episode, while also answering to a larger uh, conspiracy as the series goes on. It's a very smart show. It's a very, um, very smart show. Who, it, I mean, the the writers, the creator uh, is Alex Hirsch. Um, he was also the voice of several of the characters, and he's a well-seasoned voice actor. He does a great job. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there is a lot. I couldn't believe the amount of thought that went into this show. Yeah, I'll just say, you know, what was so impressive about the, uh, the writing staff was how they were building this conspiracy as people, some of them just out of school, you know, building writing with this level mm -hmm. of depth um, where you'd have callbacks three or four episodes later uh, and some things that were just like, oh, do you remember when we did that last episode? That mm -hmm. makes a great jumping off point for, you know, bringing the mythology of this show back together. So this combination of you know, forethought, pre-planning, and kind of flying by the seat of your pants that allows it to be so funny at the same time. Truly a brilliant room of writers. Yeah, I, I like that about how you can, at least in season one, jump in anywhere. There are some parts of the story that um, you need to be aware of. Season two, I think, definitely is something you should jump in at the beginning and ride the entire way through because I think they do focus a lot more on storyline, whereas season one is a monster of the week type format with, a, again, a couple of things that you do need to, to know if you continue. But I love that people who do watch it the entire way through get to enjoy 
the throwbacks to the previous episodes, as you said, that made it really special to watch and really fun to watch for me because it was like, oh, I remember that. I remember who um, spray painted that explosion that looks like a muffin and mm-hmm. now that I and that I am seeing in ep, you know in season two that mm-hmm. was discussed in like one of the first episodes of season one and so um I appreciate that because I feel like the the writers are thinking of the people watching the show and wanting to kind of um say hey remember this you know we're gonna enjoy this together exactly and then the yeah. themes for me you know family is something that's incredibly important to me and we see lots of different versions of that in gravity falls you know the importance of biological family certainly and that almost every conflict is solved through love patience cooperation that's huge and while that's mm-hmm. not lacking from other media something that i r- truly love about gravity falls are the themes related to found or chosen family as well um you know the the premise of two kids going away for a full summer and that the entire series only happens over the course of that summer is also relatively unique for a show. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the family that they find, the bonds that they build uh, through relating and experiences, but then also through sharing danger and trauma with the mystery of the woods is really important to me. And then again, just the paranormal and supernatural aspects and themes of this truly great world building a lot of it um you know pre-existing the show and them finding their own unique spins on things that have been around for hundreds in some cases thousands of years what examples are you thinking when you say that when you think of the things that have been around for so long well certainly the uh things like the sasquatch or bigfoot that's out in Mm -hmm. the woods the idea of gnomes you know taken from um northern and eastern european culture uh as we look at elves or the people that uh, are uh what's the word i'm looking for mischievous mischievous is the word i'm Mm -hmm. looking for so looking at some of those creatures but then as we get deeper into the mythology seeing that there is an eye in the sky or almost a godlike presence certainly that's something that exists uh you know, back even before written history with us is who do we credit, um, you know, the creation of universes to and the question of uh, does evil exist? And, you know, I think that these are things that while lighter uh, and written for, you know, the intended audience certainly exist within Gravity Falls. You know, this was something that was interesting for me, uh, and this is something that we always answer on the podcast, and I'm kind of skipping ahead, but um, we we always ask, like, who is this intended for? Mm-hmm. And that was something that uh, I was trying to explain it to my husband last night, and I was saying, it's, it's, like, um, it's like a show that you feel like should be on Adult Swim, except for <laughs> it's, it doesn't have content that would, that would, uh, put it into that category but it's also it it works for younger children my son was so into this show he was hooked from minute one um loved 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 the show um so it absolutely speaks to a younger audience and yet as you're watching it it also speaks to the adults like Mm -hmm. the the age on this is 
enormous. And so I'm like, it kind of visually looks adult swimish. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about it. And maybe it's just because there is great humor. Like there were um, the, the copying episode where a dipper is copying himself oh, over and over right. to get himself so out of the situation. It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. My son to this day keeps walking around and any chance he gets to like, I'll be like, Michael, hurry up, put your shoes on. We got to go to school. And he'll be like, <laughs> you know, he still <laughs> loves it. And then he'll always make sure he's like, do you get it? Do you know where that's from? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. He's I like, got it. my joke. <laughs> I got my joke. Uh, yeah, this definitely did not feel like I think what you were like what you were saying, Kara, like a Disney show. No, I I I I think I know what you mean because I was getting um, Cartoon Network, also like early '90s Nickelodeon vibes yes. from this show, just because it's just not something that you see now as much. You don't, so, you don't. That's sort of and and it and I think that's what made it fun and and Nate, so much of what you're talking about it just rings so true with how I was feeling watching it with like this this is a great avenue to bond with your kids. Like we mm-hmm. um we loved watching this one together. Uh and and I also like that it doesn't feel there's so I'll go ahead and say there's two seasons. Season one is twenty one episodes or twenty episodes, season two is twenty one episodes, mm-hmm. around twenty three minutes apiece. Uh you can find it on Disney Plus. This is not a life commitment. Yeah. Like this is <laughs> which I, I appreciated. Like this this was a show that you can get on, enjoy. It's honestly a show you can rewatch because oh, yeah. the um we didn't catch on until well into it that um there's all these like hidden codes and yes. cryptograms and um mm-hmm. hidden messages throughout the show mm-hmm. um we're i guess we're a family that uh, that we're not intelligent enough to catch any of this <laughs> stuff so we we saw the cryptograms at the end of the closing credits and we we did go and figure one of them out together um, and then it was like, that's too much work. Next episode. So we're not the family that's going to go break all the codes and find the messages. Um, but Michael may at some point, my son may want to go back at some point and be like, no, I want to find those. Because it just, yeah. there's so many layers to the mm-hmm. show. Like when we say it's well thought out, it is well thought out. Do you think it's it accomplished everything that it meant to accomplish in two seasons? Or do you wish it had kept going? Um, Alex Hirsch was very specific about this. He had a concept that um, he wanted finished in two seasons. Okay. And even though Disney came back to him and was like, we'll we'll renew you, we'll keep it going. He was like, nope, I had one story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, he has left it open for the future mm-hmm. to come back and do maybe a different series or movies. Or I saw something on Disney that they have like Gravity Falls shorts now. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that too. So there's, he's left open the possibility of coming back and doing more but he said for this storyline for what this is it was never meant to be more than two seasons and that's so great because his brain is truly a gift to animation so i'm happy to see him go on and work on other projects but also how he's kept up the mythology through the years his twitter feed is you know, for a gravity falls fan it's still full of so much joy and love for the series uh, even when he shares the struggles of working with Disney in that and talking about, um, 
you know, their their censors internally and the things that they couldn't say uh, and what they were changed to and how often it made for better jokes uh, mm-hmm. when they had to come back, sometimes making fun of the censors. Uh, and that's not something that I really take lightly because I do feel like he was forwarding Disney television animation at the time. The uh, introduction of two characters who were very quietly homosexual on Gravity Falls, Mm -hmm. uh, who he couldn't be more overt, then opened the door for, you know, very openly uh, queer relationships in shows like The Owl House uh, on Disney. So I feel like he was doing a lot of the hard work for creators down the road uh, with that stuff. And he's happy now that the relationship with Disney's in the rear view to share some of those struggles, but also a lot of the great comedy that came from it. No question. And that's, um, again, we were talking about he's he's such a multi-talented yes. uh, guy because that's when I was originally looking up the cast of the show, Who's Who. We have Kristen Skull as Mabel Pines. I want to oh talk gosh. about Mabel here in a second because I was so in love with Mabel. This may be my favorite cartoon character in history. Um, we have my crush, Jason Ritter, as um, <laughs> Dipper. I am so in love with Jason Ritter. Everything he does, I like him more. He's amazing. He, if, if you follow him on Twitter at all, he is the most loving husband mm-hmm. and family man I think I have ever seen. He just, he is so proud of his family, so proud of his wife. Um, I love the stuff he does. I loved him in Raising Dion. Um, and he's great. I, I immediately had to look it up when I was watching. It's like, okay, who is Dipper? Because he <laughs> he played the character so perfectly subtly. Like mm-hmm. it was um, it was such a subtle performance. This is not a big in your face lead character. Um, and and it was you could tell it was really thought about. Like he's he plays the awkward really well, and yet he can be the hero when he needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the biggest surprise for me, as I mentioned earlier, was Alex Hirsch as he is Grunkle Stan. He is Seuss. He is other characters throughout the show. It's like, yeah. man, when you can pull off two characters having a conversation, yeah. that, as someone who has had to do that in my career, and, and I say that like a complaint, and it is not. It is such a gift <laughs> when you get that opportunity. Um, it is very challenging to create characters within a series that um, you would never know are the same voice actor. I also had a really exciting moment when I realized that Wendy was played by Linda Cardinal. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah, she is like she's like the queen of like nerd genre TV and movies. She's in Grandma's Boy. She's in Scooby Doo. She does such a good job, and I was super stoked to see her on here. And there's a ton of really fun cameos. You have Jennifer Coolidge. You have uh, Will Forte as the biker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, 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 oh, and you also have uh, Nick Offerman, who yep. is – it's fun. It's just fun to hear their voices and, and – uh, I mean, it's they an all-star a, cast. Yeah, no and then J.K. Simmons, who's become, you know, a voiceover king in his own right. Just mm-hmm. so many amazing performances. Getting back to Kristen Shaw, she says that Mabel is uh, one of her favorite characters she's ever played and one of the characters closest to her, uh, which is also just so heartwarming to hear. It's re- They really assembled a perfect cast. That they doesn't really... surprise me at all. It doesn't. She plays the funnest character. She's also in... Um... 
Oh gosh, what is it? Flight of the Concords. Yep. No, she's and her character in that is just like so wacky. And so when I found out it was her, I wasn't surprised at all. I and you know. can hear like when a when a person aligns with their character, it really comes through because mm-hmm. that gives them the freedom um, to make bold choices mm-hmm. in their performances, which yeah. she absolutely does. Um, Mabel is truly i think one of the most lovable female characters um what you love about her character i love everything about her i love (laughs) she she is fearless Mm. she is so confident in herself and so comfortable in her own skin and she is not for a 12 year old little girl when you are hitting that part of your life where you're awkward and you're worried about what everybody thinks about you and you're insecure and you your body's changing everything's changing um you start realizing you have crushes on boys but you don't know how to handle that mm-hmm. this girl has it all together and i think yeah. she's such a great role model for that age of of young girl like i i would love my stepdaughter to be watching this because she doesn't care if somebody thinks it's weird, like I want yeah. that pig and I don't care if you think that's weird and I'm <laughs> going to do this thing and I don't really care. And she she verbalizes it yeah. so perfectly. Yeah. I, I wish I was honestly, I was sucked into the show, so I wasn't writing down quotes. <laughs> um, I wish I had because she's got the most amazing quotes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they gave her so much to work with and yeah. Kristen brought it. Yeah, she's super confident and she stands up to Pacifica, who is stereotypically, you know, queen the bully, bully, a very intimidating person. Mm -hmm. And Mabel handles that situation very gracefully and she doesn't let it um, impact her self-esteem. And I think that is a very inspiring character and for she, kids. She builds up the people around her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She never hesitates to jump in and be like, Dipper, quit worrying about it. Be your best self. Be the hero. Step up. Yeah. You got this. Like the, the timing so of watching this was fun for me too, because the conflicts that the two of them had with Dipper more turning towards growing up while she is not as um enthusiastic about her she's not running towards it almost like he is that it's timely that it's happening now because it reminded me so much of stranger things with will and mike yeah oh yeah totally and i know it's a common theme in this uh age but i every time when i was watching them fight i was like i feel like i'm watching will and mike here just (laughs) (laughs) as siblings instead of you know, best Instead friends. Instead of with best friends. Where there might, one might have a crush on the other. We right. Don't know. We'll see in season five. I don't know. No, they have a great, I love their relationship. Yeah, I love it too. So we kind of answer the question of whether or not it's fluffy or educational. I think on its face, your parents, if they're not sitting and watching this with their kids, probably will see it as more of a fluffy show. The messages that the show is trying to relay, I think you need to have more attention or pay more attention to um, to see it. I don't know. What do you all think? Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like it is very, very entertaining on the surface. And while I wouldn't call the show educational material, even just some of the themes are supporting so many of the things that you've been talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. cooperation, in some cases, self-sacrifice, and then those, you know, supporting those familial bonds. So I think the themes are very educational, or at least great modeling of behavior. And then throughout, you know, the interest that uh, the twins have 
um, and their commitment to those, you know, staying bold, committing to being weird or having weird interests and just committing to the things that you like, regardless of, uh, you know, outside perspectives or potential judgment, I, yeah. I think are, uh, you know, maybe in a uh, educational and a secondary way. Yeah, a social emotional way, yeah. and that's a and that's so hard for this age where peers are becoming so much more important to them. Um, it would be easier just to fit in and do what everyone's doing around you. And so again, why Mabel is? So I awesome. love again. Yeah, I was like Mabel, <laughs> Mabel. <laughs> and then in the end, everyone is wearing a puffy sweater with their own little logo on it. So people, you know, people are seeing that and and embracing it and loving it too and we know? were we were talking about this before the podcast and Nate, i'm gonna let you take this but um the character of mabel is based on alex hirsch's twin sister ariel that is exactly right so the entire story of going away with a fa- a weird family member is based on the hirsch siblings twins uh, on their childhood and um you know, Mabel was based on Ariel Hirsch, uh, now a therapist in Los Angeles, who at the time was someone who was relatively fearless, uh, was the louder of the twins, uh, and that transferred over to her dress as well. You know, there's some pretty famous photos of her in a, uh, you know, troll, big haired troll sweater, all kinds of colors that you can see, oh, that's a direct translation to uh, the character of Mabel based on her. Uh, And supposedly the Hirsch twins relationship is very much like that of Dipper and Mabel as well. So it's this great love story to, uh, you know, this family tradition of summers away. But, um, you know, the power of two twin siblings. And, you know, uh, Alex Hirsch really did draw so heavily upon his own life when he was creating this because the Mystery Shack is based on the Oregon Vortex. Mm-hmm. I've never been there personally. It's a tourist trap that Alex Hirsch encountered while visiting Oregon during his college years. If you search for the Gravity Falls location on Google Maps, it's actually going to take you to the Oregon Vortex. What? Yeah. So this, this whole thing came from his life experiences that put this show together. That's why I think he went in with such a clear vision that he was able to get down on paper. Um, and, and he knew this is two seasons. I know what it's going to be. Wow. That makes me one more reason to go to Oregon. I've never right? been. I've never been. I know. We talk know. about it all the time. So answering the question of whether or not parents will like it, I think – a certain parent will like it. I could see certain parents not really connecting with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some parents could find it to be supremely bizarre on its face that they might dismiss this as something that is solely for the child brain. Um, but it's not that at all. There are just there are so many jokes and uh, references and messages, like we said, that are for an older audience's enjoyment as well. Um, there was this this scene, I don't know, this the humor in some points was so subtle, but I know was going over Daphne's head, even though she couldn't watch it for too long, it was too scary for her. But that Sue's grandma, I felt like she was um a character that only got kind of started in season two and her delivery and some of her jokes are so brilliant that I was like, <laughs> I just feel I'm like, I know that my kid is sleeping on this woman. Um, but when she said something along the lines of like, I'll see you I'm, I want to see you in heaven to Seuss. And he's like, well, what about grandpa? And she just <laughs> kind of looks really calm and looks down a little bit. And she's like, no, 
he's not there. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And I can see Daphne just like stare, checking, checked out totally. And I'm like, ha! Just like laugh it's out so loud. Good. You know, it's so good for for me. I this was a show that that had to grow on me because mm-hmm. when I very first started it, it wasn't capturing me. Michael was in from minute one. Yeah. Um. But and I remember I kept saying, "Oh, this is very like Adult Swim," and I was never really someone who watched a lot of Adult Swim. Um. You know, Gravity Falls. It's it, the fans actually assume that this is residing in a parallel universe to uh, Rick and Morty, which was mm-hmm. on Adult Swim. Yeah. Um, and they have all these theories as to why this is the case. Um, that would be a fun crossover. That's fun. Yeah. And so I, it took me a minute. Once, once I finally really sat down and I, I want to say it was really that copier episode for me mm-hmm. um, was the one where we were both laughing so much and my husband had just come home from work and he didn't even know the show he's laughing um, mm-hmm. that was when I really saw like the value in the show mm-hmm. uh, and and really became a fan yeah so I again I think you nailed it there are gonna be parents that um, you know this might not be their cup of tea but for the most part this is Definitely. I mean, compared to so many things that we have reviewed on this podcast that I was like so checked out while watching. Right. <laughs> this is not that show. This is yeah. one that you will be checked in and, and enjoying with your children. Well, that's so why it's so this age of t- of TV is so fun because they they start to bring in themes that are more relatable to adults, whereas we've been sitting through toddler TV and Disney stuff for so long, um, which is it can be enjoyable, but um this feels more i don't know relatable in a way as a parent i don't know yeah speaking of parents i'm pretty curious i'm really curious about the parent mabel and dipper's parents they don't even make plans for these kids 13th birthday (laughs) (laughs) i'm like sitting there like where the hell are these parents where are the parents i i thought that many times and you know this bothers me in shows um at least they had supervision uh we have oh, definitely yeah. Grunkle reviewed stands yeah. great supervisor and i'm thinking of what was that truck show that we reviewed where the child was literally on his own with no supervision whatsoever like the animals took care of him yep. and it drove me I almost couldn't watch it because it drove me so nuts. And I'm like, at least, at least there's some level, even if it's like not exactly who I would choose to watch my child for a summer. um, (laughs) At least there is some sort of uh, someone's like Seuss is taking care of them. They're not going to just go off a cliff. Uh, But but yeah, they might have gone off a couple of cliffs. I'm metaphorically speaking. Grunkle Stan saves the world, my friend. I mean, (laughs) that was what was so fun. I don't know. Like, even when I don't remember the hillbilly's name, but just learning, like, he old is old man so, McGucket. Old man yes. McGucket. Like, he's it's so easy to see him at first as a character that jumps in and makes some jokes. He's somebody who lives in this town that we can all like laugh at, and it, it paints a picture of what this town is like. And then in season two, you learn he has this entire backstory yep. that is so yeah, he's fascinating. A he's a genius. And then he ends up moving into the mansion at the end <laughs> that was taken away from Pacifica's parents. It's just the the attention to detail of this show. It's if you if you have the time to watch it from beginning to end. I think you will be so pleased with the attention to detail and the the attention that they pay to each character that may at, on their face seem like this 
uh, side character or a some you know just somebody who's I don't know enriching the setting, but and then you find out that there's so much more to them than that. And, I don't know, it's really- it, and also like the little details. Like I said, this is one you can almost go back and rewatch because uh, we were Definitely. sitting and eating dinner the other night. And Michael's like, I want to watch that show Baby Fights. And I'm like, Baby Fights? He's like, yeah, it sounds really funny. Can you can you find out where that's on? Like, can we watch that? And I'm like, I've never even heard of it. Come to find out, it's the show that Grunkle Stan is watching. And one of the yeah. episodes, yeah. it literally comes out. He's like, next time on Baby Fights. And Michael's like, where do I get the Baby Fights? I definitely want to see these Baby Fights. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I kind of did too. And then I was like, oh, that is supremely illegal. But that was... Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's a premise that could only exist in cartoons, but that is, I am fascinated by that. I mean, if we needed a follow-up series, uh, I, you've got a ready-made audience ready for some baby fights. Apparently. <laughs> I'm, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> okay, so... Should we move into potentially problematic things about... Yeah, yeah. Nate, do you have anything on your list? Well, obviously, we you know, we've touched on... Uh, that this may not be for every child. And obviously people know their own children or younger viewers know themselves when it comes to scarier content. Mm -hmm. And there are things, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch Scooby-Doo in my household when I was in elementary school, Uh, you know, for some of those exact same reasons, probably also why I ended up loving horror so much (laughs) at a a later age. But, um, you know, if your limits are easily tested in regards to scares, there's definitely going to be a cut off with your uh, child on that front. And certainly, you know, I mentioned earlier some of the themes of inclusion there. Uh, while that's something that I'm very pro, there are some people that are upset by that. So, you know, right. take that with a grain of salt. Um, beyond that, though, I'm hyper interested in hearing your two's answer to the same question. Well, I think uh, to add to what you said about the scary imagery and story uh, that are in some of the episodes, th- there's also just this the bizarre imagery that I think if a kid has visual sensory mm-hmm. uh, s- uh, sensitivities that it could also be um, overwhelming or om- overstimulating yes. to them, especially that three-part finale where For we sure. get to see Cypher Bill take over Gravity Falls and turn everything on its head. Um, uh, my daughter specifically has very bizarre dreams, if, and if it's definitely impacted by what she watches. And so um, if your kids are anything like that, you know, you might want to maybe watch it before you decide whether or not it's good for your kids to to see. Yeah. Um, Grunkle Stan, he's a great, I love him. Great character. He's so entertaining to watch. He is a con. So just so we, you know, if any parents are, you know, worried about that, I don't know. To be aware of that, he gets the kids to also partake in illegal activity like counterfeiting money and stealing and things like that. Um... I, I also found and boy I'm gonna I'm I'm like podcast warning I'm about to go really far out there with these uh, problematic I don't actually find these as giant issues it's just uh, things that I noted while mm-hmm. watching it um, there's a lot of talk if you're not ready for your kids to be talking about crushes and dating mm-hmm. right. and um, things like that uh, there's a lot of 
there just seems to be a lot of characters that want to take Mabel as a wife. Yep. And that was kind of bothering me throughout the series. It's like, okay, why why is it always going after Mabel and like trying to make her a queen or make mm-hmm. her a you know, this this female figures, a possession of female that yeah. I, I mm-hmm. wasn't a huge fan of. Um, and also I, just represent, like, doing things on her behalf. I noticed in a few episodes that happened where Dipper was, um, like, for example, in episode four, Mabel agrees. To, first of all, she agrees to go on a date with Gideon because she doesn't want to hurt his feelings, which yep. I think is something that we're trying to teach girls to to not do anymore that I definitely remember remember not I I remember doing that myself and I don't I I don't think that's something that we're trying to continue with our no question girls um but because she gets put in this situation dip she has dipper go on her behalf and break up with Gideon for her so there's also this um I don't know the empower the getting him to do it for her I felt like kind of had um some implications there as well for me yeah no you know do you know what I mean no I know exactly yeah, very in smart. That, yeah. yeah. And, and in that same episode Gideon um he's trying he's trying to get Mabel to date him and so he gets a reporter to do something for him in exchange for and his reporters crush his phone number so also getting phone numbers from somebody else without that person's consent felt a little icky to me, too. Yeah, this is just in mm-hmm. one episode. Um, and then Grunkle Stan goes and in order to try to help Mabel get out of the situation, he ends up making a deal with Gideon's family based on Mabel's relationship with Gideon. So that episode, I think, has a lot of components related to a female's Ah, just I don't know how to say it. Like her place in this world, well, as it relates giving to her men. the ability to speak up for herself yeah. and say no. And yeah, I I agree. There was little things in there that bothered me quite a bit. And yeah. Um. Also, and I think I'm hypersensitive coming off of Troll Hunters, where there was a character um that was an overweight character, and they would not stop making fat jokes at this mm. poor kid. Oh, yeah. Um. And so as I was watching it, I kept wanting to be really mad, um, about the short jokes over Gideon because it is like nonstop short jokes. But yeah. the more I watched it, I was like, I guess it's not like the short. It's like. Maybe people with like bouffants are gonna be angry. <laughs> Maybe that's not as bad as I think it is. <laughs> I, if you've got big hair, I'd stay away. If you have a cherub type of look, you might might want to be careful. He is nine, and so I think the he is going to be shorter than everyone. And so the short jokes felt a little bit like age uh, appropriate. Maybe. Instead of, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I was like. I felt like I was being hypersensitive on that one. And the more I watched it, I was like, yeah, you're that's, you're just coming off. At the same hunters, time, so. I definitely had to Google that though. Cause Gideon very well could have been 40. <laughs> I really, yeah. and truly, they never really established except for the, the mama thing. And Oh, that's the other thing. Gideon's mom. Poor mom. Poor yeah. mom. Oh my goodness. How do She's we get, mess. how do I get into the show to rescue the poor mom from from her abusive yep. son. <laughs> we need to. We need to get her out of there. She's a mess. Wow. I, but again, these are just jumping off points, I think, for conversation. For sure. I mean, yes. These, yes. these kinds of things exist in TV shows, especially 
um, you know, the shows with this age range. And so as long as you're watching it and and just pointing it out even, you know, I, I kind of want to call it the Bill Childs law because he can't, uh, we had a guest a couple weeks ago and uh, he was talking about how he, his parents didn't really want him to watch MTV as a kid. And so they struck a deal where if he watched MTV, he had to write down all of the times there was violence and especially violence against women. I mm. think about that conversation mm-hmm. so often. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> and I've also wondered, I'm like, is Michael writing well enough that I can start making him do that? Because it just <laughs> seems like such a good... So side note, Kara, I did it with Daphne because she still wants to watch Masha and the Bear. Oh, I hate so that show. it's a very problematic show, in my opinion. And so I told her that she could watch it if every time Masha acts oppositionally, she could. Uh, she had to write a, uh, a frowny face. <laughs> and I'll tell you. Did it work? Oh, yeah. She was like, oh, there wow. she goes again. <laughs> okay. She did it again. She's not being very nice. And so I think it's a really great strategy to use because it's it's – it's allowing your kids to just be aware of it. And so I wouldn't count this show out because of these um, things not. that we noticed because I think the pros outweigh the cons for sure. But it's just something to remember. There was another episode that I did want to talk about. Um, or and, and also, it kind of you see it in several episodes. It's just this theme of once you get to high school, everything really falls apart for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just not very encouraging. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> She's, she's, it's this, the adolescence is portrayed as, you know, maddening, relentless. It's, it's just this chaotic, um, place to be. And I, I remember being scared enough as a kid to enter high school and that stage of my life. So the show itself is not that reassuring. So again, you know, if your kid's watching this, you could <laughs> just throw it in there. Just give them a little conversation. <laughs> it's kind of like she said, she goes, I thought high school was more like a musical. <laughs> <laughs> Nope. <laughs> and so maybe just saying, you know, I think it's kind of somewhere in between. It can be musical, oh, but maybe so funny. Just being aware and, and and having these conversations with your kid. It was it was a pretty funny scene and uh, episode, but just something to keep an eye on. Keep for. in the back of your mind. Keep I mean, it's it's good mind. going in to know about these things. Know these are things you can talk about. Point out every time that Mabel's not treated fairly, mm-hmm. um, and point out every time that she stands up and is unafraid to be herself. Absolutely, uh, I think these are great things, especially to young girls to be to be talking about, but also to boys. Like I yeah. want to point this stuff out to Michael too, because I don't I don't want to raise a jerk. Yeah. And so, Dipper, we, you know, I'd like to give Dipper some credit because I feel like he's also a really great character and role model. Um, he has his struggles, but he handles rejection really well, yep. which is something that I think in previous generations is, is not something that has been encouraged among boys. You know, keep going and getting them. And he treats he treats people with respect. And he's also very smart and brave and um he makes space for Mabel. Yes. In, in, Very respectful of Mabel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And their their dynamic is great. And so she stands out because she's so bright and vibrant. Um, and it's, so it's easy to look at her, I think. Um, but I think that Dipper has a lot to offer as well. And, and there's another great episode that's about, for especially for young boys, because I'm raising a child that's all about like fighting and battles. Yeah. And I think most, a lot of boys at this age are. 
Um, and there's this great, we watched it together and laughed about it a lot, where he brings a video game oh character gosh. to life because he's going to get beat up yeah. uh, by Wendy's boyfriend. Um, and so he uh, he's, he's scared at first. Then he gets braver when he has someone behind him. But then that now goes awry and mm-hmm. he has to find his courage. And, um, and then they realize violence really isn't the answer and it was just to me i was like that's a great episode for a kid like mine Mm -hmm. yeah well does anyone Uh, have anything else that they need to say about gravity falls or do we all just agree this is a great one yeah we didn't even answer we didn't even answer the questions should they watch it (laughs) i don't even think we talked about the premise y'all can google it i mean you guys could be just watch it it's worth it it's i wouldn't even know this is a premise i was looking up i'm like this one's so hard to describe to begin with with these two kids that go off to Grunkle Stan's house to stay and where are their parents and where is this place and who are yeah. these monsters? Yep, I, yep. Think, <laughs> I think Nate, you said, uh, I think I liked what you said when you said it was kind of like a combination of uh, the X-Files and um, oh, what was the other peak? <gasps> Oh, uh, Twin Peaks Twin and Twin The Peaks. Simpsons and, and the yeah, Simpsons. With, with the X-Files monster of the week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it, it really is to me pulling together like the the worlds of those you know scarier television series with the funniest of uh, of animation. Did you say you watch this once a year with your daughter? Is that what I heard you say? Yeah. The funny thing is, I think she's finally aged out of it while I'm still holding this as, you know, an annual love. I think I'll do it with or without her this year. Mm -hmm. Oh, and how old is she? She just turned 13. Okay. Yep. She'll be back. She'll (laughs) She'll be back. She'll be back. This will be something as adults that you guys... uh... Make it like a Thanksgiving thing. I bet she'd sit down after dinner and watch it or something. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I love it. Nate, thank you so much for joining us. I just love all of your insight on this and why yeah. this was a special show for you. You're of course. And I love listening to you too, you know, uh, as you love the show, but also dissecting it because that's the most important part of media literacy, right? Like even mm-hmm. the things we love are going to be challenging. So with your combined brains, I could sit here and truly just listen to you talk all day. One, oh, oh wow! Thank awesome. you! Wow! Thank you! We, Same to you! Yeah, Jeez. seriously, <laughs> we kept looking at each other like, oh, "This is so good!" I know. I <laughs> like where's my saying? notebook? I want to write this down and watch it again with his with your voice in my head is what seriously. I want to do. <laughs> yeah, invite us to your watching annual watching party. Yeah, we'll oh, that's something that we gotta you. do. Something we gotta do. I'll bring do. the sweaters. Well, where can people find you, Nate, if they want to learn more about your projects and about and the things that are coming up for you? Right now, Soundsington Media has two shows. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter or look up our individual shows, Reach a Space Podcast for Kids, that talks about ethical space exploration, uh, and Unspookable, which dissects myths and urban legends through science, history, and power dynamics, wherever you get podcasts. I, awesome. I'm so in. Like, we just sit here, and Laura and I just keep smiling at each other. Like, we're going to listen to everything. <laughs> Mike, I will tell you, Kara, Michael will love both of those podcasts. I just, I'm yeah. so excited. I truly cannot. I'm already like, okay, can we start listening today when we, when I pick him up from school? Because yeah. uh, this is so far up his alley. Where yeah. You're going to have two new fans immediately. I love it and appreciate the invite so much. It was great talking with you both today. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, everyone, next week, we're We're doing, what are we with? Spirit, right? Spirit. Oh, yeah. We are diving into such a fan favorite uh, next week. And I'm excited to talk about this one because this is a 
a show that might be after my cowgirl heart. Oh, same. I cannot wait to to talk about this one with you guys either. This is this is one that has been uh, just beloved in our home for years. So it'll be a fun. One. I, I'm sure people can guess. <laughs> Whether yeah. or not we what are we going to say? It. What are, it's going to be a mystery. Tune in next week. Definitely don't watch it. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye. Subscribe and follow us on Instagram.